Australia in four, the United States in five. Off, McKenzie at the bottom, Stubbins above her, Schlanger in six, then to the yellow lane, Henry. Queen start, Newell's got into the water quickly, but so did Joyce. For short of Germany was away well. They'll go to the wall all together, pick that one. Bloomer in fact, ahead of Manuel and Hirsch Amenya. What a shot, Peterson stumps her authority on another 200 breaststroke. Now Henry is starting to come at her. Henry's throwing Linden down. Linden and Henry. Henry and Linden. They hit it. Jody Henry of Australia shading. Jenny Thompson has taken the lead here. The Australians have only won this race once. It was with Dawn Fraser in 1956. Henry's moving away. She's going to win it for Australia. This has been a remarkable last leg. Jody Henry is going to bring Australia home for what will be yes. victory. <laughs> hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Shannon Rollison podcast for another week. Uh, we were back last week with a bang with burning your ship, and, and that's been going gangbusters. Some massive feedback. Uh, on our first episode back, joined once again by the star of the show, Mr. Shannon Rollison himself. Shannon, how are you going, mate? Good, Robbie. Uh, yourself? <clears throat> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Thursday morning ritual. Charlie and I have been for breakfast down at the cafe and a couple of coffees, and she has her baby Chino. And I mean, she she lives the life, really. She does. She's in there with her glasses on and you know, asking for baby chinos and tell she does the order already. She, I don't even order for her. She tells them what she wants. So, yeah, no, it's been a it's been a good morning, mate. What about yourself? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we didn't have a great morning in the pool. I already knew the for everyone at home. I already knew the answer to that. By the way, I just I just thought I'd throw it out there to see if you'd tell everybody else. <laughs> yeah, they're too sore from gym on Tuesday, and uh, as I said to you before. Little tweaks in the gym just get so magnified in the pool. Um, so, uh, yeah, we had to bail on a set that we've been doing. We've been going like five rounds and uh, we had to bail on round four just because it was just a waste of time. Mm. So little black duck wasn't very happy. So anyway... <laughs> Just just on that point, uh, two questions to come out of that. A, for everyone who is programming and looking ahead and trying to work out where they're fitting their gym slash strength and conditioning into it, how important is it to make sure, you know, the timing is right throughout that week and you are putting it and structuring it in the right area? Because as you said, if it's in the wrong spot, um, it, it can have an effect on the sets you want to swim later on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's pretty critical, really, and and um, so you know we've got a new S and C person um, working with the program. So uh, Mitch, who was working with me from twenty eighteen, he's he's gone overseas, and um, so uh, the new person's finding their feet a little bit, and um, you know what took Mitch a few, a while to get used to swimmers and how they react to different, um, you know, small changes in the gym. And um, now we're sort of going through all that with, with the new person who hasn't worked with swimming before. But, you know, we're, at the, we're getting to the pointy end of the season and can't really afford to be losing a main set um, at this stage, you know. So 
uh, it's all right early season. And and what I generally like to do is, you know, get some strength gains if that's what you think you need in the first half of the season mm. um, and just consolidate from here on, you know. So, um, but for new, new S&C people working with swimmers, they, they you know, because they're not a land-based, it's not a land-based sport, so um, things hurt them, can hurt them easier in the gym than, you know, someone who's a footballer or a hockey player or runner or, or things like that. Um, and, and the other thing is, you know, because the, of the density of water, um, there's no momentum, you know, mm. so you got to, to get through the water, you got to, you know, create those forces. Um, and, and, and then you've got technique as well, you know. So my older guy who's in my squad, he was shortening up in the warm-up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought, oh, this is oh, this doesn't look good. <laughs> I could just imagine your face just, just watching the warm-up already going, what is happening? Ah, <laughs> uh, so um yeah, it's um it's a tricky one. Mm. Yeah, and um yeah, how much gym you got to do is the magic magic question. The, yeah. the longer I'm coaching, the, I think um, the smaller that uh, bucket of water is getting. <laughs> <laughs> well, the second part to that question, mate, which is a little bit tricky, it's, it's not a black and white answer, but, you know, you mentioned there after four rounds, you're just like, listen, this is, let's call it a day. How important is it to, to do that sometimes? I know speaking with Brant Best quite often, he would have like a, uh, a pre-main set set and if that didn't go well or to plan he'd scrap the main set we're not doing it because this is going to be a waste of time like if we're not on we're not on um as i said it's not black and white because there's some days you've got to push through a little bit because there's varied reasons for you know not being on but how important is it to be switched on like you obviously were this morning paying attention to the little details and then going ah, i don't think this is going to work let's hold it for a day where we're, we're going to be able to execute it uh, correctly yeah, I think you've um, you've certainly got to have that in mind. And in the end, um, three swimmers did the whole set, um, and uh, they obviously you know weren't as sore as as the rest of them. So seven who who were you know not swimming well enough to to continue it, and uh, three that got through. So so. Yeah, I think you got to look at the whole group. Um, if you just got, you know, if it's a one-on-one -on -one thing, I think you can, you know, what Brant's suggesting is, is the way to go. But obviously that can't always be done because you, you've got a squad and some people are, are okay, they're ready to go. Um, so you've got to make, try and make those adjustments. And, um, um, yeah, I think it's just something, you know, you've got to feel like sometimes you know, they can start a set and, and swim into it, you know, yeah. and I was hoping for that today. Um, but, yeah, it just became pointless. <laughs> yeah. All right, I don't want to make you cranky anymore thinking back to this morning's set because I, I know how, you know, guarded oh. you were. Uh, let's, you know, one thing I did get feedback on is we didn't talk about 
the lawn last week. It was our first episode back for the year and we didn't get a lawn update, mate. Now, for anyone who's just joining the show, you know, maybe last week was your first episode, so this is your second and you maybe haven't gone back in time yet to listen to our early episodes. Uh, Shannon has had a love-hate relationship with his lawn uh, from the beginning of the podcast, but slowly he became almost a... I don't, know, I don't want to say an expert on it, mate, but you certainly got the experts around you, so you've learnt a lot more. Uh, how is the lawn going at the moment? Yeah, it's going good. Well, we've had plenty of rain, um, which has given us a bit of a different uh, summer. We've had a fair bit of humidity here in Canberra, especially for Canberra. Canberra so, uh, mm. But as far as grass goes, it's just been going gangbusters. So I couldn't have killed it uh, for a better year, you know. <laughs> Imagine if uh, I had to water the thing all, all summer. But, um, no, it's going good and I'm, I'm getting a little bit tricky because I've had the experts in, so um, I've been cutting it a bit shorter to help the, uh, uh, the summer grass sort of take over my older winter, winter grass. Um, so... Uh, that's been going good. I'm pretty happy with it. And then the lawn, some of the lawn out the front, I actually just bought completely new stuff, and um, that's that's been really really good. So uh, it's more drought tolerant. Um, it's settled in well. Only have to water it once a week. Uh, so I don't know why, but I've got this idea in my head, a picture in my head of you as you start to get a little bit more, you know, confident about the lawn, just starting to maybe put a few patterns in there. You know, you've got the different, you know, just the cricket patterns or just going down to Monica and just having a look around and go, oh, yeah, no, I like that. You're going to start doing that in the backyard. Could we see that, Shadow? Maybe a couple of patterns. It's funny you should mention that. Um, <laughs> Don't I, tell me. I, I splashed out <laughs> at Christmas and bought a Honda. <laughs> And if you don't know, they're like the Rolls Royce. <laughs> so, um, and it's got this sort of this thing at the back of it, um, plastic bit, which which can give you the stripes. Mm. So yeah. So and then I've I looked it up, and you shouldn't cut your lawn the same way every week. So I've been I've been doing um, straight lines, cross lines, diagonal lines. <laughs> oh. the one thing you got to have, you got to have a beer after you do it. Oh. Of course, of course. Always the beers do taste better after you've done a bit of work, don't you? You know, like that old, um, is it the VB ad, you know, hard yakker and all that sort of yeah. stuff. And then um, I never used to drink too much beer. Like I was more of a it's a Jack Daniels, I still am, but I, I can drink beer now. And, yeah, I, I must admit, beer after a hard day of like being out in the lawns or doing stuff, it yeah. just tastes a bit better. Yeah. No, no doubt about that. <laughs> now, I wanted to make mention because we, we mentioned last week on the podcast uh, from the New South Wales State Champs uh, in January that there were a couple of sort of eye-catching uh, swims by some New South Wales swimmers. And we sort of gave a vague reference, didn't we? But we didn't. I, I wanted to make sure I gave them the proper uh, respect they deserve, mate, because I think some of these swims are phenomenal. So... We mentioned the the boy in the hundred meter breaststroke. He went sixty one three three, and his name was Haig Buckingham, and he's from Sopak. Um, I actually think he swam faster than the Open boys did in their hundred. Um, I think they were a little bit underdone at the back end of their race from a couple of other races. But anyway, he, he was very eye catching. So Haig, mate, well done, and well done to your coaches. And then the fifteen year old that caught your eye in the hundred free uh, was Olivia Wunsch, and she went fifty five one. 
yeah. as a 15-year-old. Yeah, no, very good. And Michaela's coaching her and Maddie Brown's coaching. Um, Haig. Haig, yeah. yeah. So hopefully the Queensland coaches that are listening aren't writing their names down and offering them scholarships. <laughs> Well, you listen, I think they're in good places where they are, those swimmers, and, you know, Carlisle with Olivia, and obviously they're, you know, they've uh, in recent months got a whole, you know, new lease on life there with the new coaching staff coming in. It's all sort of changing, but in a positive direction. Um, I saw them at State, and, you know, their coaching team was always together as as a group, weren't they, and, you know, conversing and all that sort of stuff. So I thought it was a, it was a really good and professional look, and I thought the Carlisle swimmers actually did a really good job considering – um, not that they haven't before, by the way. Um, you know, I th- Misha did a great job when he was head coach there as well. Obviously, Seabom Lee on a on a, an Olympic team, but um, yeah, I thought they did a great job for the short m- amount of time that they've been sort of uh, in that program. So yeah, just wanted to give a shout out to those guys, their coaches, their clubs. Um, phenomenal job, and definitely for the listeners, um, their their names to to keep an eye out for that's for sure now mate the other thing i wanted to touch on we sort of spoke about it a bit last week there's been just developments coming left right and center in terms of aussie trials uh, what that means for world champs what that means for other tours and other trips and you know the we, we spoke about before the qualifying times have been pulled down so whether they're being re-looked at and all that so there's a lot going on a lot of moving parts um what are you hearing and what are you seeing on your end yeah, well, it's, nothing's changed this week. We can't say that about the last fortnight. Um, yeah, I, I tried to have a look at the age nationals qualifying times and th- th- they were down. And then um, because they've changed the, the dates for the Australian champs from April to May, mm-hmm. one of my swimmers goes up an age because, you know, they've got the different ages. Yep. And... So he, he qualified if he had have gone in April and he just misses the qualifying time in May. And we've run out of meets. <laughs> um, and then uh, Drew rang me yesterday and he said that they're changing the age brackets for the Australian Championships, which I didn't know anything about. No, me either. Yeah, so I don't know what's going on. Um, I mean, and one thing that, you know, because I, I wasn't even aware uh, until, you know, he spoke to me. And I went, so I, I looked up, must have been a week or a fortnight ago, and um, the times change as they go through the, uh, the ages. Mm. And I sort of thought that was a little bit strange because, yeah, you know, when they're going to uni, well, their last year of uni, they, that that could be a lot heavier impacted on their swimming than maybe the first year of uni. Yeah. And the whole idea of it was just to get them through those uni years and keep swimming. Mm. But if but if they've got to keep improving as well, I I would have thought they would have, you know, maybe had one change, but not every year you've got to keep getting faster because. Well, you know, once you stop being an age group, but that just doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, no. And it's, to your point, that last year is usually, depending on what they're going to uni for, a lot of placement. So there's yeah. a lot more time commitments to being in a work environment and they can't get to the pool as often. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, you know, like I said, I hadn't really 
taken that much notice until he mentioned it. And so I had a little bit of a look and I was like, really? So it just seemed a bit strange. Um, yeah, well, to our point last week, you know, it's getting complicated uh, in a, a situation that probably didn't need to be as complicated. Um, we spoke about also last week, for anyone who, who doesn't know or didn't listen, World Champs was on uh, in Fukuoka, then it was cancelled, um, and then it's back on now and it's in Budapest uh, on the 18th of June to the 3rd of July. We're still not sure about whether, the, you know, they're swimming in the first week or swimming in the second week. That You know, there's speculation around perhaps um the format could change i mean why not if you're going to do it this is the year to just change shit up right everything else is so why not uh who cares what tradition says so yeah look there's the speculation about that but yeah that's the reason why the trials have been moved to to may um but again i mean it's only a month difference i, I, I don't know obviously they we feel like in australia we've got that winning formula now um but then again you know we used to do it differently before and, and we were pretty successful back then as well, right? Yeah. Well, so so it's, what, about extra five weeks, I think, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, after this morning's workout, I probably need it, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if you were really going at it and, and you'd put all your targets towards April, you'd certainly have to adjust... Um, you know, these last sort of 10 weeks because what you effectively were thinking, I want to be doing five, six weeks out, well, now you're 11 weeks out. Mm. So th th there's going to need to be some adjustment. Um, the uh, And then the other interesting thing is you're on the team, which is, what is it, mid, is it mid-May? What is the date? Yeah, 17th to the 22nd is is the week of uh, trials. So that overlaps with the man Ostrom because, you know, we've been talking, you know, in Australia about, and I certainly in New South Wales about going to the man Ostrom and there's been a few years since that hasn't happened. And uh, and looking at the dates for the 2022 man Ostrom, at Monaco's now the 21st to the 22nd. So they've actually changed their dates because of of the world's change, because mm -hmm. they were going, that was going to be, I think, the 18th, 19th, I think. So anyway, and then Barcelona is the second meet, 25th to 26th, and then you've got Cannae, 28, 29. Mm. So, and then as you say, we don't know whether it's, the, it's normally world's is normally first week. Um, but anyway, uh, until that's resolved. But it'd be interesting to swim into Worlds, you know, like certainly if I was in Europe, I'd be thinking about going to those meets and using that as your last phase of your training. And, uh, yeah, yeah, because they'll be a little bit underdone because they're coming out of their winter race-wise. So um, they, could, they could use that as a good racing block and if the world's was second week the swimming if they moved that to that you you have that racing block and then taper off that yeah that'd be quite interesting well there you go and we do have a lot of uh, european listeners mate so if there's any european coaches out there listening to that there you go shannon's giving you 
some nuggets of gold there if you wanted to look at it that way. Perhaps they already were or perhaps mm. you've just made them just go, oh, interesting. Yeah, we could look at it that way. Yeah, and whether anyone did that in Australia, I mean, you'd be basically, uh, you'd leave a couple of days. Uh, what did you say our last dates were? 22nd of mm. May. So it's it's almost, it ends when there's starts, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a so bit. It's of, a bit tricky. You'd almost yeah. be forfeiting it one or two. How many, how many legs is there? There's three. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't race off, if you weren't racing the back end of the meet and, um, you know, you were just having a few aerobic days and you, you could jump on a plane on the 23rd, yeah, it'd be a bit tight with Barcelona. You could certainly do Canet. Um, yeah, I mean, it's that's that's a tricky one. Yeah, it's certainly a- over in Europe. That that's an advantage for them. Canet meet. Oh, what a great meet that is. Must admit, every time you talk about those sort of meets, I do get jealous, and it makes me think like, oh, I really want to get to that level just to be able to get over there, travel, experience uh, the culture as well as also just get that race. Um, experience over there as well. I think, you know, you've been a big proponent of that. We've spoken about it a lot on the podcast, the Man Ostrom Tour. And um, I think for me as a swimming fan, as I grew up through that years, that like you guys were always over there. That was that was pretty pretty big uh, around the early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah, yeah. Like I was talking about the Don story last week when there used to be four of them. There was four meets when Rome was involved with them. But, um, yeah, my first one... It was 1995. I was like 23, and um, I think I added it up once. 14 years or something like that. I've been going to the Man Ostrom. So the last one was in 2017 with, with Edinburgh. Um, but that just just such a learning curve, and, and everyone's up for a chat, and you can have a look close up at the swimmers when they're warming up, swimming down, racing, whatever it may be. Mm. And then just yeah, you just—it's just a fun meet, you know. And we don't always have that in Australia, unfortunately. So um, just a good, relaxing, fast, good chat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a—it's a difficult one, isn't it? Double-edged sword. We're very, you know, fortunate in Australia with you know where we live and the surroundings and all the things we've got at our disposal. But we're also a long way away from everything else. When when everything's going on elsewhere, it, it takes us a while to get there, which then you've got to plan for and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff where, to your point, the European countries can just sort of jump on a plane, just shoot up into the sky and then come back down and they're there within, what, 45 minutes to an hour? Yeah, oh, easy. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, now listen, let's get on to today's topic, um, which is all about breaststroke. Um, and I, I thought, we, you know, this this year around, we're going to switch things up a little bit. Obviously, we're still going to do some interviews. We've got some big ones coming up. We're still going to cover uh, some big meets uh, that have been over the years. We're definitely covering 2002 at some point this year, the 20-year anniversary of the Com Games. And look at World Champs from 2007 as well. But we also wanted, uh, for the coaches out there who are listening, we wanted to make sure we're touching on a few other things throughout uh, the year and maybe get a bit more technical. Um, so we, we wanted to talk today about breaststroke. We've also got a sprint freestyle chat coming up and a few other ones lined up as well. Breaststroke today, mate. Um, out of the four strokes, where does breaststroke rank for you in terms of your uh, enjoyment of coaching? Uh, 
Yeah, I was going to bring this up, even if you weren't going to ask. But See, uh, this, is, this is the beauty of our – this is the success of our podcast. We <laughs> zig and zag. It's like a yin and a yang. We just – we know what we're thinking. Yeah, look, I, I was a breaststroker. Um, so when I first started coaching, I thought, oh, well, I've got this one in the bag. Um, but no. But my worst stroke as a kid – well, the long the, the stroke it wasn't my worst stroke, but it took me the longest to get was butterfly, uh, and that was the most the, the quickest success I had um, when I first started coaching. But breaststroke, I was like, why can't you just do it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I've yeah in the nineties it was probably a bit frustrating, um, and while I understood the stroke, but explaining it to people, you know, and, and teaching is a different thing. And I remember uh, I coached uh, Jade Winter and he was like 28, oh, he was like 28-2 or something like that, 28-2, 28-3 in the 90s. And, uh, you know, he, he was about a tenth off the Australian record of Phil Rogers and, you know, he's a good breaststroker and he could do some great things in, in training and, you um, he, the, the racing, he, 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 he wouldn't go any be better at the big meet and things like that. And it was just quite frustrating. And um, when we had that Tani podcast, and <laughs> I went, oh, I don't want to coach another breaststroker after Jay. <laughs> and then she gave me a call, but I'm so glad I did. So, so you know, over the years, it's gone from a, a stroke that's frustrating Um to it, it, it's got my. I, I find it very interesting, uh, and to the point where now, um, and probably for a little while now, um, it's the stroke that I like coaching the most. Um, and so it hasn't always been that way, but it's certainly grown into that, um, and it's just really, really interesting. And, and you've got to approach everybody um, individually. Um, you've got to take your experience, but then you've still got to look at each everyone with fresh eyes and m way more so than any of the other strokes. Um, and f I think for that reason is, and, you know, I've been coaching for 30 odd years, um, it's, it's the one that I've still got the most interest in because it is such an interesting stroke. Yeah. Um, you see so many different styles, variables, strengths and weaknesses um so you know by doing something you know as mundane as as coaching and stuff that sometimes can be um it, it still holds my interest so I, I really enjoy it look i mean i could coach just a whole squad of breaststrokers now whereas you know in 1999 i couldn't have thought of anything worse you know so definitely something that's changed over time which has been good um and you know recently I, i've been looking at you know a, a lot of the top female swimmers over the last 15 years with just some footages and stuff like that and, and it's just so many different variables so many different stroke rate types so yeah no it's good yeah i was gonna say do you think breaststroke yeah, we always get told as coaches coming through and developing and all that sort of stuff with uh, 
you know, have a model in your mind of what you want strokes to look like, whether it comes to freestyle or whatever, you've got to have an idea, a fundamental model in your mind of what you want that to look like. Do you think with breaststroke, you kind of, you still have to have it. Don't get me wrong. I think there's still got to be those fundamental areas that are covered and, and we're hitting, but do you think you've got to be a little bit more relaxed on that? Because as you said, like there's so many different strokes and, and different, you know, for one, technique for most people that could be really ineffective but for that person that you know they're they're, sma- they're smashing it and you're like how does that work when adam yeah. Peaty first started everyone's going well he can't keep that up well he did yeah. so yeah. <laughs> he did so you know there's 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 no sort of one rule that that covers everyone in breaststroke right yeah no exactly and i think that's certainly um as the more i've coached the more flexible i've become with that um and my model is much more pliable uh, now than it was, you know, in my second 15 years of coaching than my first 15 years of coaching. So, um, and I think that's where the frustration comes from with coaches, where they're just trying to make it look like this or they're trying to copy someone. You know, I listened to um, uh, the Olympic champion, Lydia Jacoby. Yeah, Jacoby from Alaska. I mean, yeah. she's American, but I always just remember she was Alaskan. Yeah, she and she's quite young, isn't she? I, I think she was seventeen when she when she won the the gold medal. I don't know if she's had a birthday since, but I, I'm yeah. pretty sure she was seventeen. And she just mentioned, you know, she her strokes when Brett asked her about, you know, her stroke, her strokes modelled around her strengths, which is a kick, yep. and she actually said, you know. She referenced Adam Peaty and Lily King, and she completely didn't go that way, and yeah. her coach didn't go that way, and and that's the absolute right thing to do, you know. Um, I, I think of all the strokes, breaststroke would be the worst one to try and copy someone, yeah. um, and it's it's a stroke that you just tweak, you know. And Ken Wood said to me long, long, long time ago, uh, yeah, don't overcoach breaststroke, you know, and, and a lot of the top breaststroke coaches would know that, you know, you just got to tweak it. Don't say too much. Um, you know, amount of times you've said something and you've overdone it, you know, and I've gone, ah, oh, why did I say one more thing? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why weren't you just happy with that? <laughs> it's funny but- you mentioned, Ken. I, I do remember uh, being at a, a- press card not press conference but a you know one of those conference chats or whatever it was and i remember hearing him say you know pretty much the same thing just if it works it works find out why it works and then build around that don't try yeah. and change i um, mean it was around liesel because she didn't have that sort of technique uh you know the typical um style did she certainly around that time with a lot of the japanese breaststrokers and all those girls coming right up out of the water and there was liesel just staying low and driving through yeah um now i wanted to you know we talked about obviously there's a few fundamentals um and in this chat i wanted to you know if there are young coaches out there listening or you know even older coaches that still want to um you know try and learn a thing or two we're always learning i wanted to sort of break it down and, and you know start with the fundamentals what are they to you? What what are the key elements that you look at when you see a breaststroke? And we all know it, by the way. If you're, a, you know, coach that's been around a while, you look and you see a breast a breaststroke kick, or you see someone doing it just in the junior squads. You're like, oh, oh, that, that's a breaststroker because it just stands out like dogs. You know what's? What do you um? What do you look for? 
Um, for me, I think um, the alignment, you know, from your, your head, uh, your fingers um, to your hips to your feet, trying to get into that line at some part all um, on each stroke. Um, and then the other thing that I look for is the uh, minimal angle of, of your hip. So bringing the feet up without dropping uh, the knees and the wider that angle is, I think the better. Um, so I look for that. And obviously, you know, the, the turn your feet out, all that sort of that sort of stuff. But I think for me, you know, um, getting into that streamlined position um, th- from fingers to your toes um, and uh, and then that minimal hip angle, they're the two biggies. Certainly they're the ones um, that have become more dominant in my looking for a breaststroker. Um, and the other thing, I mean, it, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's without doubt a, a power stroke. Yeah. And and um, and it's very sensitive to training inputs, you know. So, um, you know, there's. I'm I'm a big fan. I'm not over cooking breaststroke, but I'm also I'm always looking for ways to train the stroke. Uh, and I think I've spoke about it in the past. So train it in parts, and then bring it together. Um, and I think it's interesting, you know. Like I remember when I was. Training, you know, I trained with Sam Riley um, in the early 90s, and she was a later developing breaststroker. And you've definitely got you, you've you've got ones that come through early as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Sometimes they keep keep on going, but I would think it's a rarity. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think yeah, 1992, the Japanese girl was 14 when she won the 200 breaststroke. Uh, Alison Higson from Canada was 15 when she was the world record holder. Um, you look at Liesl when she came through. She was quite yeah. young. Yeah, Liesl was young and, and to her credit, kept on mm. going. Um, who's the girl, the American girl? Uh, oh, there was Anita, Anita Noll. Um, Anita Noll, she... she she, I think she had a world record for a short time, but she was Olympic champion in 2004 in the 200. She beat Liesl. Um, Amanda. Amanda Beard? Yeah, Amanda Beard. She came up high out of the water. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think Amanda came through quite young and then had a low and then came back. But um, I, I think it's definitely to the type of work you do. You know, if you're in a program that's doing a lot of power-type training, I think, I think that's, and we used to talk about it back then, but we didn't really know why. And, and I think that that's the case. So those capacities aren't really fully um, trained. So that, and the athlete can move quite quickly by doing a lot of power type um, training, but then they plateau and they get stuck. You know, they get stuck on 33 seconds or something like that. Then they can't break 111 and, they can't break 2.30 and, you know, you see it time and time again. You only got to look through the Australian records and you see these swimmers and they're like, wow, <laughs> where did they go, you know? Um, and, um, 
you know, looking at Gregor's progression, um, you know, when she was 14, she was 115.5 and 244. Um, and as a 15-year-old swimming 33 and 113 and 241. So, yeah, and having known her background, um, talking to her and, and her coaches and stuff, it was very capacity orientated. And then as she got older, the intensity type came in. So, um, yeah, so I think they're really important to keep in mind. Um, do you think you've got an ath- a swimmer who's going to, you know, peak maturity-wise as, as a youngster? Then maybe you, you go that power route. Uh, if you've got a, a young swimmer who's... Um, now, I'm talking probably females here because yeah. I can't think of off the top of my head too many 15-year-old men, mm. <laughs> uh, boys racing men. Um, but, yeah, if you've got a, a, a female swimmer who's a lot slighter um, and is going to develop the strength later, then I think you've got to keep that in mind, you know, and, um, you know, you've probably got someone who's going to peak in their 20s and there's been plenty of them as well, so... So there's two roads, and I think you've got to understand each one and and, and how they um, operate. Yeah. So, um, well, you just covered. Well, my next one was going to be transitioning, and you've sort of just covered that. That there's two different roads to go down in terms of transitioning. Uh, there's one question I want to ask because it's, it's always interesting to me. Um, I got told once by a head coach, uh, "Don't hold breaststrokers back." So quite often. Uh, you know, if we're looking at our program, you know, and you're developing swimmers coming through and everyone's got like a gold squad, right? There might be a different name in your club or your your squad, but it's a gold squad. It's the top group. And you've got um, swimmers coming through. Quite often you'll find breaststrokers are very dominant. In, in ter- so my, my boy, for example, who's, you know, 34, just turned 13, goes 34 for a 50 breaststroke. He's not setting the world on fire, but he's definitely a good breaststroker. But his freestyle and all the other strokes are still lacking in terms of technique and all that sort of stuff. What's your advice around, you know, what would you do with a swimmer like that? He's quite clearly lengths and bounds ahead in breaststroke, so could keep up easily, do all the things properly in breaststroke in a gold squad situation. But then when it comes to freestyle or backstroke, for example, because we still want to keep developing and having well-rounded athletes – he's probably lacking and probably out of his depth a little bit at times. So what, what's your sort of, um, you know, resolution for that sort of thinking? Yeah, I think it's a good question because, um, like, like if you did a set and you gave the, the breaststrokers did it and the freestylers did it, you have two different outcomes, you know. Um, or if you gave it, if you're, best swimmer in your squad was a breaststroker and and you're going, all right, I'm going to give them, this is what I want them to do and everyone else can just do it, it, whatever strokes they're doing, you're getting all different sorts of um, variations. You know, freestylers could be lactating at 19 and the breaststrokers are humming along at seven, you know, Mm. could be even less. (laughs) Um, So I think, yeah, this is my hat on it. I would try and develop those other strokes. Yeah. Um, but I would I would do that at different times of the year. So I may not necessarily do that uh, at the pointy end of the season, you know, 
so two three months out or whatever yeah. but I, I definitely use winter and and early season to to try and move move those strokes along just so that um one i think from an injury point of view it's it's not a bad thing you know like i'm coaching josh simmett and and he had a terrible groin injury and he was a very good age breast age group breaststroker he just can't do it anymore you know he can do it in very small amounts um so he's had to try and you know develop other strokes and stuff so um so i think at the end of the day yeah and it's it's just not one of those strokes that you can just swim up and down all day long doing you know well i don't believe so anyway so um my advice would be to try and um and they don't have to uh you know even compete in those uh, those strokes they just got to be able to uh train in the group you know yeah. um if you're doing long long swimming and fast swimming you know if it's early season you're doing a bit of a polar type approach and you're just trying to develop speed then they need to be doing those other strokes to, to coincide with what you're trying to achieve um does that make sense oh for sure for sure and i think even with those other strokes like we you know and i'm not reinventing the wheel but I, I hark on a lot with him about his freestyle i'll use my swimmer as an example but everyone will think of their own swimmers in this example but you know his freestyle technique is you know it's it's on a on a good day it's okay on a bad day it's horrible doing the breaststroke kicks you know the split kick and pointing his toes out and all that sort of stuff. So we talk a lot about injury prevention, even just in having good technique in your aerobic swimming, you know, like, so it's not so much to, you know, become a super fast 200 freestyler. It's just so you're not going to get sore shoulders because, and that was going to lead into my next question with aerobic capacity and all that sort of stuff for a, for a pure breaststroke. And now we're going to an elite level. Now we're going to a Jess Hansen, uh, Matt Wilson, who, you know, they're not jumping in and doing 100 free, 200 free. They're not doing a big program. They're doing breaststroke. What do you do around their aerobic capacities? Um, do they do much breaststroke? Is breaststroke purely, uh, uh, you know, for power sessions and uh, quality sets? What, what are you doing in that zone? Well, that's what I do. Um, I've got, uh, I, you know, we, we do pull, we do kick. Um, for the capacity work that um, Jess was doing freestyle, regular I did freestyle, but I've got a I've got a set. Um, sometimes we'll do a two hundred, and, and it'll be mixed. It'd be drill. Um, yeah, it'd be a, a lap of kick, a lap of drill, uh, um, maybe a hundred swim. I just mix it up. Um, that'd be. And that, that's to protect the stroke. Yeah. Um, and but we'll do two hundreds of that um, as the season progresses. So um, the but apart from that, it, it's it's just like I try to get the muscles. I train the muscles, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And then I use freestyle to train the heart. Yep. You know and the other thing I don't mind doing is sort of getting a little bit of fatigue in free and then going into breast as well. So, so I, I 
you know, rather than trying to cook the stroke and then and then go at pace, try and get the heart rate up, get a bit of, you know, um, the system working in freestyle and then going into breaststroke, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, butterflies not too dissimilar. Yeah, well, hundred percent. I think I asked you the other day. I was doing just a thirty fifties set with my other swimmers, and I had my breaststroker not doing it in a pace situation, but he was just doing you know three of them as breaststroke, but just you know nice and easy counting his strokes and just swimming through. Um, I think we even talked about that, and you said you know, potentially you would have left it, but just maybe done one as kick, as you said, or one pull, or one drill, or one. So just mixing it up. So and yeah, to your point, I think butterflies exactly the same. Um, we we mentioned earlier the different strokes and techniques. We've noticed breaststroke over the years technically has evolved. There's certain things, trends that are starting to come through. Are you following that? Do you make any changes based off trends or are we still going back to our original concept, which was, no, you just, whatever you've got in front of you, you build around their strengths? Yeah. um, I, yeah, I'd still go to that. Um, I think, um, yeah, I forget, I'm not sure where he's from. That short course, did he break the world records? The short course in some of those um, ISL meets? Who are we talking about? Is it Shamanovic? Is that his name? Or is it Kaminga? Who are we talking about? No, not Kaminga. I think it's, um, is he Serbian or? Oh, it might be Shamanovic. You you can you keep is. telling your story and I'll Google it. He's got a real <laughs> porpoising type action. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as that, that, that interests me. Um, if you can get your feet out and stuff. Um, but how many people can do that, you know what I mean? Like there's no point it interests you unless you've got someone who can do it. So Yeah, it's got to be effective. Yeah. I'm just trying to find it here, mate. So this is not good podcasting, by the way, while Robbie's sitting here Googling. Uh, it is Shamanovic. I was yeah. right. And he's from Belarus. Belarus, yeah. Yeah, 55-2. 55-2. That's very quick. <laughs> I mean, if you're knocking off Adam Peaty, I mean, Adam's not known for his sure. short course racing, but he still went 55-4, so he's only just knocked him off. But, uh, yeah, Shamanovic, yeah, just, you know, in terms of trends, obviously we're seeing maybe a shorter uh, outsweep on the kick. Um, and, mm. you know, you talked about that hip position and that sort of stuff and people driving through the hips a little bit more and almost that undulating. I mean, but we can go back to – I remember because I trained with Jim Piper. Yeah. So I remember even him getting in trouble for, you know, listen, I don't know what Tomo and the, him were cooking up or whether it was just a natural thing or whatever, but remember him getting in trouble for doing a little dolphin kick after. So everyone's always trying to look for that. Well, you're not allowed to do that. Well, I know, but everyone's looking. If you watch. It does go on though. Yeah, yeah. If, if you watch uh, Underwater, you know, I think I can't even remember who it might have been. Kitajima or someone, I can't remember, but I remember watching an underwater of them and they did two kicks, like two dolphin kicks, bang, bang, like really quick. So, but you didn't, like, it didn't get caught. So they're always looking for an edge though, aren't they? And do you think though, this is where these little um, improvements in technique are coming from, that everyone's looking for that little 1%, you know, where's the line? Okay, let's blur, let's flirt with it. And what can we, what can we get here? Could be. Um, Yeah, I, yeah, it's interesting with you've got um, 
you know, this is this is sometimes where the judges give you know, annoy me. They'll DQ uh, a nine year old or even an eleven year old for not kicking on a horizontal plane, mm. and they spot that from the side of the pool. Yeah, but they can't spot dolphin kicks from one whole <laughs> lane over, lane three or something. You know, yeah. um, and and then that swimmer who's out there in the middle at their state meet gets lane one or eight at the nationals and gets DQ because mm-hmm. they hadn't been picked up. Yeah, isn't it funny how many people get picked up from uh, lane nine and zero? Yeah, you got to be unlucky if you're in those lanes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, I just, I just, you know, do you think breaststroke is one of those strokes where the line gets flirted with a little bit more than others? Uh, I mean, there's probably more lines to flirt with in breaststroke. Let's be honest. There's a few more rules. Well, the rules, keep, the rules change, don't they? Mm. You know, like I said, they'll be doing twenty meter run ups soon just to get the world record to be broken. <laughs> <laughs> Why has it got to be twenty meter run up? I just came into that, <laughs> but but you know what I mean, like yeah, yeah you, once upon a time you, you were getting DQ'd for dolphin kicks. Now you're allowed one, you know. Now now people try to do two uh, or three. Um, yeah, it's. As I said, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was Kitajima that I saw and it's because there was a lot of white water around bubbles and stuff. So unless you really watched, because it was super quick, it was like bang, bang. Um, but, you know, if as I said, I think they're always looking for that edge. And, yeah, I remember when, yeah, when Jimmy got picked up because someone, I think someone else within the Australian team pointed it yeah. out. Yeah, 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 and, uh, yeah, and it got picked up and then I was, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, always looking for that edge. Um, yeah, in terms of um, race strategies, race plans for breaststroke, does that change? We talk about, say, easy speed for freestyle, and obviously most, you know, we've all got that model in terms of a 100 race plan. Is it different because breaststroke is more power dominant? Do you have to be super careful on that first 25? Again, not that you shouldn't be anyway, but if you overcook your legs in breaststroke in that first 25? Yeah, I mean, I... Um... I'm a big fan of, you know, I'll say 99 times out of 100, I'll say to my students, you know, the, the first quarter of their race has to be for free, you know, and you use whatever descriptive words that they can get in their head for that. Uh, in breaststroke, is it count, you know, it's got to be five strokes for the 25 or six or, you know, um, with, with Rega, all of her sub-220 swims, her first 100 stroke frequency or stroke rate in Australia, frequency in Europe, um, was under 30. Mm-hmm. And when it was when it was that, that unlocked a, a two, you know, 220 swim, a sub 220 swim. Um, but, you know, if I said that to my breaststroker now, uh, that's not going to work. So um, we're, we're trying, I'm trying to bring her rate down a little bit but um, finding that little bit and and is the key, you know. Yeah. So um, so I suppose you know the 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 model is similar, but the numbers are going to be different for her. Um, the uh, then you then you've got you know breaststrokers that 
are just those real high tempos that just go out as fast and hold on types. Mm-hmm. Then you've got an FMOVA who could change within the race, you know. Um, so, again, it just gets back to who you've got, what you've got. And, and look, you know, maybe uh, there was something in FMOVA's training when she was younger that they used to do that that um, developed that ability to switch. I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Um, so that would be interesting to, to know whether that happened or not. But you're certainly just diving in and trying to do that. That's not going to work. And then again, also, if you're going to go long, you, you've got a, a hypoxic component that you need to train. And that was something that was really evident in in our preparation when I was um, training Rega was 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 that hypoxic component so off, off the third turn she didn't do a full pull out um and when we were going short course racing it was the last three turns was, wasn't a full pull out either so and it that brought her up you know half a second 0.7 earlier yeah. so her first three strokes were better on that last 50 or that those last three 25s so so i felt is that just in training shanna is that just staying consistent in training and every time they're pushing off a wall you know get to your mark make sure you're hitting here your pull out's the same staying consistent have you got sort of do do you ever do sets around that sort of stuff for breaststrokers um no sometimes i'll do double pull outs and things like that depending on what the sort of set is um i mean uh with her that we we it was just off the race analysis that we came up with that sort of stuff um the and you know i i didn't know of anyone else that was doing it doesn't mean that they weren't but you know this was back nearly 10 years ago so um it's something certainly for coaches to keep in mind if they've got a long stroker um, because, you know, a regular stroker could get out to like two and a half metres. Um, so you're holding your breath for a fair bit of time. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, I haven't played, I know someone who is doing a fair bit of work with in this area and that's resistance. Um, and yeah, there's certain a pl- certainly a place for breaststrokers to do resistance swimming, um, with nets and things like that. Um, and uh, so I think that's a, an area that should be explored. Um, but again, like, like I wouldn't do that with my daughter at her age because this gonna muck around with the stroke too much. Yeah, I'm just happy if she does the same stroke. Um, and that can change from effort to effort, you know. Which we all know from last week's episode. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I wouldn't do a lot of resistance work with a young swimmer, but as they got older and more mature and uh, the stroke was being cemented, I, I'd certainly, I'm a fan of that. Mm. On, on uh, that breaststroke, actually, I, I looked up. Um, we were talking about uh, Ava's 50 breaststroke last week. She, so she went 35-1-4 and got fourth. Yeah. 
I, I thought during the week, I'll, I'll look up Queensland, see where she would have, because Queensland had its sprint meet on the weekend. So she would have came second at the Queensland champs with that That's time. So then I looked at oh, what was the last place in that final. Yeah. And it was a 37-6. To make the final, you had to go 37-2. Mm. There were three 37s in that final. And in New South Wales, no one in the final went over 36-0. Everyone was 35 or better. Yeah. Oh, that's very good. So You don't always see that, do you? Often if you compare ours to Queensland yeah. times, you usually... I mean, that's not even comparable. Yeah. That, that's like a, a different age group. <laughs> yeah. So wouldn't it be interesting to sort of... Yeah, if you're doing a, you know, an analysis uh, to to monitor that final in Queensland as a 14 year old and it, as a 14 year olds in New South Wales, and just see how their progression is over the next two years, mm. because it's it's not even close. Um, I, yeah, the winner from Queensland was a bit of a standout. She went 33. Well, I don't know their name, but. Um, but then it was daylight second. Um, but there again is one of those outliers, 14-year-old swimming extremely fast, two seconds faster than a girl who was a world record holder for nearly 10 years at the same age. Well, we'll see where that goes. But, you know, the rest of that final is quite interesting. And then, you know, we get back to the New South Wales and people leaving when they get to a certain age and they go to Queensland. I mean... We've got the kids. Yeah. And that, there's just one example. I didn't look up anything else, but yeah. Yeah. They're there. Yeah. No, 100%. The the cattle is there. I, I, I even think the coaches are there as well. I, I think yeah. we've got some brilliant coaches um, in and around. Um, it's an interesting point you make about the youngsters coming through. I had a thought to myself we had um, our speedo sprint. So for all the listeners who aren't, from New South Wales, it's just 50 metre events for our junior athletes and it's a way for the, the sport to encourage new swimmers to come in. They don't even have to be a member of a club. They can just come in and be a part of the team for the day and do a couple of 50s and it's a way to try and encourage you know, young swimmers into our sport. There was a girl, Shannon, 10-year-old girl who went 29-3. 10-year-old girl, 29-3. Mm. That, that's super fast, isn't it? That's crazy. Yeah, I remember a girl who was like, it was like 30.01 or 30.10. And she had the Queensland record for like a decade. So, I mean, I haven't kept up with 10 year olds, you know, for the last 20 years. But back in the 90s, that, yeah. that was just a phenomenal time. So 29.3. Well, I, I mean, it just begs the question I'm, I'm leading to is obviously she's talented. But very rarely do we see the fastest 10-year-old go on to make an Australian team. Mm. It's sort of a, a one in a, you know, one out of a hundred sort of scenario. You do get a, a one or two trickle through, but it just doesn't happen. Well, what do we need to do better to make sure we encourage that sort of a talent? Oh, is it a, a, a matter of maybe putting the brakes and maybe they're overcooked and that's why they're going so quick at a young age or... What do you see as a trend in terms of obviously, you know, with a young daughter now, so whilst you might not have before had your eye across it, now you, you sort of do a little bit more just because obviously your daughter's amongst it. Mm. Um, you know, are you seeing something there? Do you think maybe for coaches listening, if they do have someone 
you know, maybe the coach who's listening to this is the coach of that girl who went 29-3. How do we keep – obviously, she's phenomenal. I mean, she her time nearly won all of the other age groups above her almost. Mm. I think there was a 12-year-old who went 28-2 or something. But still, that's two years difference. That's a second. That's still impressive. Mm. How do we keep those talents around? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's hard without seeing her, without knowing what they're doing. Um I, I, yeah, you've got to you, you've got to t- bring the parents in on the journey. You've got to get them to understand that um, this isn't just going to be uh, plain sailing, um, and you've got to get them to understand, you know, what your um, what your strategy for for that door for that child is. Yeah. Um, so for, when I was at Chandler, it was always the same. It was getting everyone through those those age groups, those younger age groups into the older age group. So converting your 10, 11, 12-year-old into a 15, 16, 17-year-old, and, and that's why we did well as a club because we just did that. Um, and uh, you stay in the sport, you don't even have to improve, your ranking will improve. So if 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 um, you want to get noticed as a coach, just retain your athlete, and and it, that will happen. Um, I mean, we've seen that. Sorry to cut you off, but you, I think you pointed this out. That's why I want to mention it. At state, I think it was the might have been at the final that my fifth, uh, fourteen year old girl was in. Um, I think she went two ten in the two hundred. Um, the couple of girls in front of her went two oh eight and two oh seven, maybe to podium but i think you even pointed out if you have a look at the ages above her those times are still pretty yeah. competitive and all you've got to do is keep them around and all of a sudden yeah. those positions change yep uh, without doubt so so you know like if that 10 year old was going 29-3 on four sessions a week oh if the 10 year olds going 29-3 on 10 sessions a week hmm yeah yeah yeah. That light's not that bright. So um it, it's all horses for courses. So um yeah, you know, if if she's a mature girl uh and you think she'll her development will be fully developed at 14, 15, well, if that's the case, I don't know if it is or not, but if that's the case, then maybe you do go for it. Yeah. But if it's you know if that's not going to happen, then you've got to try and uh, get her through these these years. Mm. Um, I can't remember what Kate Campbell was going that sort of age, but like at well, she won a bronze medal at the Olympics in like low twenty four. Yeah, she was what 15, 16 at that time. Yeah, fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, she's always been. I think the one that springs to mind in terms of what we're talking about. Yeah, I was going to say Yolan Kukla because, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of, you know, what she has gone through, if there's injuries or other things at play. So I'm not sort of, you know, saying she was a star prodigy and then just never fired. There may be other reasons at play, but certainly she's got records still out there as a youngster coming through. She made an Australian team at a really young age. uh, And then, you know, unfortunately, just we we haven't seen the best of her since. Yeah, I had, uh, she was part of my relay team in London 
so look, and they they won the gold medal. So yeah, there is. She's an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. So um, that's the tricky thing in coaching. Like, when is their their moment? Um, so it's it yeah it's just one of these things that you've got to look at what you've got um and and you've got to adapt um and and if that person that model if that person doesn't fit your model in your club then be big enough to move them on when when you think the time is right as well um so yeah would it, it'd be much better if you had a, a 13 year old and you thought they were just completely um, different to what you're working at. Um, say, say you've got a 13-year-old and um, it's two years out from the Olympics and your squad's made up of, um, and, and she, you know, she, she's a freestyler, and, and you, you've got um, 80% of your squad's breaststrokers or breaststroke distance swimmers and you sent them somewhere and two years later, they get an Olympic gold medal. That's only going to be good for you. Yeah. What would be terrible for you is if that swimmer um, flouted in those next two years, didn't make a team, didn't win an Olympic medal in a, in a relay, and you, you allowed it to happen. Yeah. yeah. So, because um, we... We just uh, it does does not matter who you are. You cannot coach everybody, yeah, at once. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, that that's one of the things I think we we all have got to keep in mind. Um, and and look, there's 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 swimmers in the past. You know, when I was at Chandler, I, I just ended up with too many sprinters as well. You know, and um, I've had my time again. You know, I, I would have sort of suggested to one or two of them to go to the AIS, you know, rather than me trying to hold them through. Mm. Um, anyway, um, so because in the end, I, I remember two of them come to mind and they just went, oh, we're never going to beat Jody and Alice, so what's the point of keep on swimming? Yeah. Well, in the end, Jody and Alice became Jody and Alice. But when they set, made that comment, they didn't see that. They could just see, well, I'm getting spanked by these people. Well, yeah, but hang on. <laughs> well, fast we, forward. We like, we like giving up because Adam Peaty was beating yeah, them. Yeah, I was just going to say, fast forward, I don't think there's any shame in getting beaten in training by Jody Henry when we know she goes on to, yeah, Olympic. Yeah, that's medal. right. But, but these these two girls that I'm thinking about, they, they gave it away at 16, 17. Um, mm. And it would have. I, I think they could have kept on. There's no doubt they could have kept on progressing if they may have been in a different environment, um, which uh, they could have progressed in. You know, because they they weren't being reminded of being beaten all the time. So yeah. So you know, um, it's it's just it's just another thing in 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 our coach day to day coaching that we've got to be mindful of. 
Man, absolutely. Now, listen, we're going to wrap it up soon. Um, but just in circling sort of back to, to breaststroke, obviously, that was the theme of today's show. And obviously, the nature of you and I, mate, is that we can talk about a lot of things uh, for a long time. If anyone ever, um, if anyone's seen us at, at State during the week, we had a lunch and we had a catch up and it was supposed to just be a, a quick feed. And I think we end up, you know, just by the time we finished, we went back, finals were on. So we, we could talk forever. Um, yeah, in wrapping up for breaststroke, uh, what are sort of the key fundamental pointers, not so much technical, could be technical, could be training. If you've got a youngster coming through, 13, 14, might be 15, might be Matt Brown listening with, and, and he's got Haig, who's obviously a phenomenal talent, and he's on the, the cusp of, of probably, you know, being up there with Matt and, and Zach Stubblity Cook and Jake Packard and these guys. Well, what's your advice for those guys? Um. My advice, uh, what are we, how many years out? From Paris? Mm. Two. two. Yeah, two and a bit. Um, make sure you've got somewhere to go each season, you know, um, with those, they've got youth on their side, you know, so I think if they, you can add something next year and then add something the following, I think that's a good thing. Um, so don't, don't add it all this year and then be left wondering, you know. I think if they if, if they can be improving without having to, to go to another level in their training, then that's what I'd be doing and then wait till next year and then bring out that next level and then have somewhere to go in that Olympic year as well. Such great advice, mate. No, that resonates with me more so not on an Olympic level but just a junior level and you would have heard this before and all the coaches listening will as soon as I say this, they'll say, oh, yeah, that happens to me. How often do you have a junior kid within your squad, might be 11, do massive PBs, make state, do well, might maybe even get a medal at state, and then the mum and dad comes to you and says, so listen, when are they going up to gold squad? And you think, well, hang on a second. They've just got a medal at state with the training we're doing. Why do we need to, to, to jump to that next level? I, I'm assuming that's sort of the same sort of lines that you're talking about here. It's just at an, an older age group. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, that, I remember I made that mistake and my, my parents and that, um, I doubled my training one year from, yeah, it was just way too big a jump. Mm. Went backwards for a whole year, spent, up, spent a year getting up out of bed at 5 a.m. We added morning training. It was probably the worst thing I ever did. <laughs> and I went backwards. Imagine doing twice as much work and swimming slower. So, but... Um, yeah, I mean, that's what some of the swimmers that I've got in my squad, I'm quite excited for the next couple of years because I've got somewhere to go. Yeah. That's why I was so disappointed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, and look, another sort of tying it back to a conversation we've had is Bob Bowman talking about Michael Phelps not really being in the gym and touching weights till he was 18 or 19, which sounds crazy when you think of the success he had uh, you know, when he was the big finalist at 15, wasn't he? Yeah, in Athens. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, finalist in Sydney. Then you look at what he did in Athens. And yeah. obviously, then if you if you follow that, obviously, you look at what he did in Beijing. That's when they progressed the training program and added levels to it. So um, it, it's not, you know, yes, he was a freak athlete for sure. But still, Bob had that same philosophy in mind that, all right, let's give extra steps to go to. Let's not throw the whole kitchen sink at this young kid now just because he's good. Let's yeah, continue. he managed that talent, you know, and and the talent's got really got nothing to do with it. it 
if someone's less talented, doesn't mean you got to give them everything all at once. You still got to manage that improvement. Mm. So, mate, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there for this week. <clears throat> what have you got coming up for the weekend? <clears throat> uh, well, we've just had our ceiling and all that fixed which was last Sunday the guy started till Tuesday because we had water damage from some of the uh, big storm that came through with hail. Yep. Um, so this weekend, no swim meet, so hopefully um, not too much and I can just sit back. I'll probably ride my bike. I'll definitely do that. So, yeah. Barbecue? Do you like barbecuing? Yeah, yeah, that's probably Friday afternoon I'll do that. I just bought some steaks this morning. So oh, very, very nice, very but, nice. Um, now you yeah, talk to I, my language. I got some custom wheels made on my bike. So, um, so uh, the alloy, um, and uh, yeah, they're really good. So um, I've done about three rides on them. So wouldn't mind doing a big ride. So. Take it out for a spin when you're out there riding. You're listening to music, podcasts, just your own thoughts. Yeah, talking to myself. <laughs> Some of the best conversations I have are with myself. Yeah, it's pretty dangerous when you know people have got music on and they can't hear anything. You know, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm not one of those guys or girls. <laughs> all right, mate. Well, listen, you enjoy your weekend. For all the listeners out there, thank you for joining us once again this week. Hopefully, you got something out of it again. And as I said, we're trying to do something a little bit different. We didn't really do any sort of um, stroke-specific stuff last year, but just having a look at the audience and the <clears throat> the people. So, no, I don't know what's stuck in my throat. It must be a bloody frog or something. Um, next minute, you'll hear me next week. Oh, I got COVID. <laughs> 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 I shouldn't joke about that. Um, but, yeah, look, you know, as I said, there's a lot of people listening that are coaches and, and we thought that we wanted to make sure we were covering this sort of content as well. We're not going to do it every week. We do still want to be nostalgic and go back to those um, – meets that we all remember so fondly and lucky enough shannon was there i was watching on tv and getting excited by watching shannon was there and amongst it so can't wait to pick his brain for those but yeah hopefully you guys enjoyed it this week and uh until next week have a great weekend and we'll see you next time thanks everyone have a good good weekend as well